0: Hey guys, welcome back to Better From the Ground Up. And today we are going to talk about plant health. We're going to talk about diseases, pests, and prevention. Every morning when you get up, you run up the flags that says balanced nutrition. and you salute it every morning. That's what I'm here to do today. That's my strategy. There's no magic program for everybody. It's about identifying what's most limiting and fixing it. So it's amazing what the crop can do when your nutrition is squared away and everything's good and adequate and balanced. We talk a lot about plant health um, in, in this podcast. We've already touched on it a few times, but we're going to go into a little bit more detail today. Um, so something that, that we always, always, always focus on is most limiting factors, right? We already talked about that. So if you don't know what diseases you have or how severe the infection is, it's hard to predict whether those are actually most limiting or not. So we're going to go through just a couple common um, diseases that we see in corn, soybeans, and wheat. And I want to explain what to look for um, and what we do about it when we find those diseases. Plant health is a vague term, right? Like I see a lot of products with labels that says um, designed to improve plant health. Um, so that that's not very helpful. Um, we have to know what our problem is um, before we know how to fix it or make it better. So... Plant health is, is a is a vague term, and what I would submit to you is the, the higher your yield goals are, the more healthy your plants have to be, the less disease pressure you can have in your plants um, and the less less infection you can have. So if we want to grow 100 bushel soybeans and 300 bushel corn and 125 bushel wheat, um, for instance – we can't have hardly any disease in the plant or on the plant, okay? We can have a little bit, and we always will. So one of the things that we refer to is the Compendium of Disease Books um, from the APS. And one of the articles in there um, talking about corn and root diseases says, every corn plant in every field every year will have disease in it, okay? It's just a matter of how much. So understand that... This disease topic is not something that just shows up some years and doesn't show up other years. Um, The degree of infection does change um, based on your genetics and the environmental conditions and the inoculum that's in the soils, Um, but it's always happening. So as plants grow, you have the roots that that, – you have the seed that germinates. You have roots that come out. You've got um, the above-ground portion of the plant germinating – and emerging. And from the minute the plants, uh, from the minute that seed germinates, you have pathogens that are going to be near the root system and near the foliage. And it's only a matter of time, um, days really, at most before some of those diseases come in contact with the roots or the foliage and try to infect that plant. So every, every day, there's a different disease Um, or maybe the same disease in a different area that's trying to infect that plant so that the plant is in this ongoing battle to defend itself and to stop the infection from happening in the first place. And if the infection does happen, it's immediately going to try to stop that infection in its tracks. It's either going to try to kill the disease um, or it's going to It's going to kill some of its own tissue to starve the disease out of resources. It'll sacrifice some of itself um, to do that. So just understand that your plants every day are defending themselves from diseases. So it's not just a by-chance occurrence. Oh, Maybe I'll have some disease pressure this year. Maybe I won't. You will have disease pressure every year and actually every day. And so having a nutritionally balanced plant – is the number one strategy because your plant requires energy and resources to fight those diseases off which remember it's happening every day so if you want that plant to be able to manufacture resources, um, antibiotics, um, and other chemicals that that inhibit those diseases and kill them, um, you have to have photosynthesis going on um, at, at peak levels, okay? And to have that, you have to have, you can't have nutrient deficiencies or imbalances and have peak photosynthesis. You can't have that. So again, it comes back to balanced nutrition. So that being said, um, let's talk about a few common diseases. It's very important to be able to recognize diseases first. Uh, obviously, if you can't recognize the disease and you don't know that you have it, you're not going to be making any plans um, as to how to address it. Um, there's a lot of agronomists that um, that have a degree in agronomy and plant and soil science um, and have a very basic... Um, a very basic understanding of diseases and how they work, and and a lot of a lot of guys have actually no um, information on on early detection of some of these diseases, and that's what we want to focus on the most. Um, if we walk out to the field and your plants are dying from Pythium, it doesn't do me that much good to tell you it's Pythium, right? It's like, well, it doesn't really matter what it is; the the plants are dying now. What we care about is early detection. Um, sometimes it's not possible. I understand that, but. Um, generally speaking, the earlier we can detect these diseases and and identify them, uh, the more we can do to reduce the amount of yield they're going to take away from us. So Being able to recognize these diseases is step one, Um, and that um, just comes from training. Um, That comes from reading. It comes from um, experience. It comes from having a mentor, right? So that's one reason that we work so much with Paul Bodenstein is because he's taught us a ton about early detection of a lot of diseases one thing that we see a lot of is um pythium on corn roots okay so a lot of guys will say well i walked my field my corn came up it's all v1 v2 and the plants look great Uh, they're green and they're healthy looking so i don't have pythium right and we're like that's not necessarily true um if you read um the compendium of corn disease from the aps Uh, the American Phytopathological Society, it'll tell you um, in the section under Pythium that rarely, rarely does Pythium affect the above-ground portion of the plant. Typically it is isolated to juvenile tissue on the root tips or feeder roots. And what happens is the Pythium um, will attack those feeder roots or root hairs, and it will start to um, it'll start to break down and degrade those root hairs. So you'll have necrosis of the root tips or root hairs. And so when you dig those up, they either break off easily, um, so you don't have many root hairs when you dig it up, or they're just they were gone from the first they were gone in the first place. So when you dig them up, you don't see many root hairs. So when we dig a corn plant up at V two. Um, every section of roots should have a good number of root hairs on it, going almost down to the root tip. Uh, when the roots are growing rapidly, you're not going to have root hairs going all the way to the root tip, but they should be at least half to three quarters way down the down the root. If you have an entire section of root um, that that has no root hairs at it uh, on it at all, no feeder roots, then that's a bad sign. So that's an indication of Pythium. And Pythium is something that gets us in cold, wet soils, typically, right? So planting corn when it's early because you're you're out there pushing it. You want an earlier planting date. You just got to get done. It turns off cold and wet. Um, it is a recipe for Pythium. The other thing that you'll notice about Pythium is it's it's worse in waterlogged soils. So almost every single disease, almost every disease that we read about on on all crops. Um, as far as the recommendations go from the APS of how to um, treat the disease or prevent it, it says improve drainage. So you'll read over and over and over again: improve soil drainage, improve drainage, improve drainage, um, and that has to do with compaction, right? So one thing that we like to do is take a penetrometer out to the field and see where the where the hardpan is. Is it two inches? Is it four inches? Is it six? Is it eight? You know where is it? If you have less than six inches of soil before you hit a hard pan, we know for sure that um, when you get a heavy rain, it's going to stay saturated for quite a while. Um, even tiled ground is going to struggle to drain well when you've got a hard pan. So, just something to keep in mind as we talk about disease management. That my my first strategy really um, is to go check for compaction and. When we find it, we want to address it. Okay, back to pythium. When you see pythium, um, you'll notice an absence of feeder roots. So we want to look at the hybrid. Um, you know, We want to look at, at all the characteristics of that hybrid. We want to look at what conditions was this planted in? Was it cold and wet? Did it turn off cold and wet after we planted? Um, what happened? What was our seeding depth? Um, do we have a history of pythium out here? And how bad is it, right? And, and that's something that we can evaluate is, is how bad is this? Do you just have a slight infection? Do you have a lot, but understand when we see a pythium infection, we know right then and there that our yields are going to be capped. It doesn't mean we're going to have bad corn, right? We can grow a bunch of 250, 260 bushel corn, um, with a slight, slight pythium infection. Now you're not going to go, if you're a high yield grower and you're wanting 350 bushel plus, um, it ain't gonna happen with a Pythium infection. So uh, just understand, a lot of this is based on how bad's the infection, what's your yield goal, what's your expectations. That's one thing on corn that we look at. So as far as um, how to address it, um, metalaxyl would obviously be the seed treatment that typically um, addresses Pythium for us. However, it depends on the rate. So um, there's a there's a lot of seed with a cut rate of metalaxyl applied to it. So that's something that we have to understand. Um, what, what rate is actually on the seed? Is it a half rate? Is it a 20% rate? Is it an 80% rate? You know, that's, that's step one. Now on the corn seed, unfortunately, you don't really have any flexibility. You're going to get what you get, and they're not even going to tell you the exact rate. On the soybeans and the wheat, you'll, you can see exactly how much metal axle you have, how much AI you have. Uh, but on the corn, you can't. So on the corn, we're stuck with, we've got three things going on. Number one, we want to check for compaction and we want to make sure that we address that. Number two, um, we want to get as much beneficial biology booming in the root zone as we can at the time of planting. So what we do is we, we use food sources, right? We want to feed the beneficial organisms. We want to put humic acids and kelp extracts and amino acids, fish emulsions, whatever. We want to put a lot of different food sources out in um, we want to put a lot of food sources either on the seed or in the furrow. You can do that with a liquid seed treatment. You can do that in furrow products. You can do that. There's some planter box treatments that um, replace graphite and talc and have food sources um, for biology in there. So we want to do the best we can at, at building up those beneficial populations so that as soon as that root germinates, it's colonized by beneficial organisms because one thing about Pythium is it's a poor competitor with other soil-borne organisms. So if you put a food source out there, um, especially if you put enough and the right um, diversity of food sources out. You'll build up this population of beneficials. Those will colonize the root, and then the Pythium is going to have a hard time infecting the root after that. So the third strategy would be actually putting organisms in there that we know compete directly with Pythium. So we have um, we have a couple products in our arsenal that we use that we know are are heavy competitors with Pythium. Those are most of those are are beneficial bacteria that we know. Um, tend to uh, degrade um, degrade cellulose. So pythium, most funguses' cell walls made of chitin, but um, chitin um, – most funguses' cell walls are made of chitin, but – Pythium does not have chitin in its cell walls. It's made of cellulose, and these particular bacteria we use are cellulose-degrading bacteria, so they're going to break down that cell wall of pythium. Um, So, remember, step one is removing the um, compaction, improving the drainage the best we can. Step two is feeding the beneficial biology in the root zone at the time of planting. Step three is putting actual organisms out that will compete with the pythium. So, that's just one example of a foundational thing that we have to do um, to maintain high yields um, and, and the list goes on there's fusarium there's rhizoctonia there's um, you know there's all kinds of different things out there but that's one common one that we see so if you're if you want to know um, if you have is- issues on your corn go out at about v2. Um, and dig some corn seedlings up and take a look at the root hairs on your lateral roots and tell me how many of them have root hairs um, or feeder roots all the way up and down all the sections of roots. Because if you see a little corn root that emerged um, and and you've got two or three sections of of root that that look like a rat tail, there's no root hairs and the dirt stuck to them, that's an indication of pythium. Um, And you might say, well, the corn looks okay, though. Um, And that's fine. But just understand we're not going to have maximum yields there. We're we're not. So our opinion on diseases and management is early detection is key. Um, We don't want to wait till the plants are dying in the field to go out there and try try to try to make a rescue treatment. Um, odds are it's not going to happen. So um, there's a few other diseases that are common, right? Uh, we we struggle here with southern rust on corn. Um, we struggle with anthracnose on soybeans. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that we struggle with. Um, one thing about soybeans um, is you. a lot of the diseases that you struggle with, um, let me rephrase that a little bit. If you had to guess, um, out of all the diseases that you see on soybeans that are foliar, you see them on the, on the leaves, the stems, and the pods, what percent of those do you think are soil-borne diseases? Just in your head, take a guess. What, what percentage of diseases are soil-borne? Because that's what all the seed treatments are about, right? They tell you about all the soil-borne diseases that they control. So here's a, here's a piece of key information about half of the of the diseases that hold our yields back are seed borne diseases not soil borne so these are coming on the seed so when large farmers are growing production seed we have um, issues with timeliness on on applications of certain things and time timeliness of harvest so the longer those seeds are out in the field guess what starts growing on the seeds that's right disease so, when you harvest a bunch of seed with disease on it, um, and you come back and, and, and harvest that seed and it gets cleaned and then they treat it. Well, if that treatment didn't, didn't effectively sterilize all the seedborne disease, and most of it does not. Um, I can tell you for a fact, most of it does not. Then, guess what? You just purchased treated seed. You just purchased seed, you had it treated, and it still has a bunch of seedborne disease on it. And a lot of those diseases are going to infect early, and you're never going to see them until later, like the R stages. So, anthracnose on soybeans, borne or seedborne? Seedborne. We see it all the time. Nobody else seems to see it they go out and walk the beans and they say, oh, these beans look great. Uh, we go out and we look um, for the symptomology. Um, we look on the underside of the leaf and the stems and the petioles, and we can see the beginning stages of anthracnose. Um, and if you wait till R3 to spray a fungicide, um, that's, that's pretty late. You already had a lot of infection before then. So you can start fungicide at R1 and really stop it in its tracks. But um, that's just one example of, of the details that you have to go into if you're going to maintain um, and produce really high yields. As far as the pests go, um, we know that um, there's a lot of things out there, right? We've got SDS, we've got um, SCN, we've got root knot nematodes. There's all kinds of different nematodes. There's um, there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, pest management in agriculture is is important for the same reason that weed control is important right there's it's just another thing that can take yield away from us so The first step is identification, right, proper identification when something's not right in the field. When you notice your plants aren't growing well or your nutrient status is not very good, um, we're going to dig plants up. One of the first things that we do um, when we get tissue samples back and the results are not what we think they should be based on the biology and the soil samples, we're going to dig roots. We're going to look for nematodes. We're going to look for rootworm uh, damage. We're going to look for um, disease we have to go identify what the problem is if we're gonna accurately um, solve the problem. So there's there's so many things out there that um, that it's impossible to list everything. You know, just sitting here right now, there's no point in listing every little um, every every critter, every worm, every nematode that's in the field. Um, the point is, you have to either take it to someone that knows or send it to a disease lab or a pathology lab or find an entomologist. Um, When you see something that's not right, um, our recommendation is be be very determined to figure out what the problem is. We dig so many roots. It's not even funny. I mean, I, I just, you cannot manage a crop without digging roots. So my number one Um, recommendation is when when anything is wrong and things are not where they should be as far as yield or plant health goes um, unless it's obviously a foliar issue dig roots and start analyzing Um, and and if you guys don't even know where to begin with that um, feel free to reach out to us and we can give you some resources we can help with that um so some other prevention strategies for for diseases and pests that we want to talk about Uh, obviously crop rotation is a big one so um this is this is pretty common knowledge so i'm not gonna harp on it too long but you've got crop rotation as an important tool Obviously, if you have a soybean cyst nematode problem and you plant soybeans after soybeans after soybeans after soybeans, their populations are going to build up so high that it's going to be about impossible to really control them. So, you know, just planting a non-host crop for a year or two and then coming back again is going to make a big difference. Um, Resistant varieties are a big deal. So... um, You know, looking at those seed guides. You know, when your seed salesman comes by and sells you, uh, you know, the new seed for the year. um, If you if you don't know what diseases and pests you have been struggling with, um, then I I don't know how you would make a great decision on which genetic traits and which varieties to choose. So that's another reason to get out there and dig and know what's going on. Is when you want to buy seed, um, there's a lot of genetic traits that are going to help you um, help the plant resist or tolerate those problems. One thing, um, one example on on traits uh, like on wheat seeds. So we recommend that our growers plant certified wheat every other year. Why is that? Um, it's not because we just want them to spend more money on wheat seed. Um, it's because those genetics, some of the some of the resistance, uh, the resistance genes, and the tolerances uh, to certain pests are going to fade over time. So if you have um, if you have certified seed that um, that's fresh and the, all the genetics are expressing themselves at maximal levels, if you if you plant that seed and harvest it and save some, and then you come back and do that again the second year by the second go round from from the from the certified batch some of those genetic traits are weaker they're not expressing themselves as fully so you lose protection to certain things and when it comes to things like scab and wheat um, and and you um, and that comes in that year and you have leftover seed that's two generations or more older that's a bad deal understand that um, saved seed it is not so much a problem for one season one year as long as it's legal um but when you start going two and three years down the road you're losing some some genetic expression so just understand that um biological control is another fun one um so there's a lot of different things out there that are um touted as biological control methods and all I will say about that is it's a real thing. There are certainly biological solutions. There are certainly um, – there's a great place for, for biological control. Um, I think that if that, – that's my number one um, – objective every time. Like if there's a biological way to control something and I know it actually works, that's what I'm going to go to first rather than a chemical control. Um, But you have to know um, what exactly does this control? Does it help with it or does it actually control it? So, um, you know, we we have to make sure that we take care of the issues um, that we've got And when you're looking at biological control, you need to know exactly what it can do, what organisms does it control against, which ones does it help with but not control, and which ones does it just have no effect on. Beneficial nematodes, beneficial bacteria are the most common. We have a beneficial fungus that we're using that's an entomopathogenic fungus, and that means that it is going to help help the plant fight insects. And so what happens is... You plant this fungus, or sorry, you put the fungus on the seed or in the furrow, and as that root grows, the fungus um, forms a relationship with the root, grows into the root, grows up through the stems and leaves, and and it's kind of covering it's an endophytic fungus so it's covering the interior of the stems and the leaves and as insects walk on the leaf surface that fungus gets on their feet or legs and starts to grow on them and will eventually grow around them and suffocate them and a lot of times it's within two to five days of contact that it'll kill insects uh, the, the cool thing about that fungus is we're also seeing that it is making massive improvements in some of our micronutrient levels in our tissue test um, so much that we can eliminate some trips across the field. So um, that, that's something that's very promising. Um, but again, when you're using biological control methods, you need to know what the product can do, what it, what it might be able to do, and you need to know what it cannot do. It's a great tool. You'll see more and more of it. I'm sure every year there's going to be more products that come out. Uh, Ten years from now, it's hard to imagine how many cool discoveries there's going to be in, in biological control methods. Um, that's exciting for me to think about. Um, but um, just understand for now that that you need to do some of your own research when a product is presented to you to verify that um, that it can actually do what the whatever the claim is, as far as um, as far as other other methods of, of pest prevention, um, there's there's a lot of other things that that we could talk about. I mean, sanitation of of equipment matters, um, but that's, that's not something that I have any control over and, and most people aren't going to do much of that. So there's no point in harping on it. Um, but, um, chemical control is the second thing that we're going to rely on, right? So we want genetic resistance. We want the varieties that are resistant. We want biological control. Um, we want proper drainage. Those are all, you know, crop rotation. Th- those are all great things, uh, building up healthy soil biology with cover crops and compost extracts and things like that. Those are, my number one strategies for sure um when that doesn't work then we have chemical control so um whenever we are using a pesticide of any kind um we want to um be we want to be positive that that needs to happen, right? Like I said, if we, if we take care of drainage and compaction, if we have good biology, we've got lots of bacteria, fungi, protozoa, beneficial nematodes in the soil. Um, we've got resistant genetics, varieties, and hybrids. Um, we've got biological control products or methods. Most, if we do all that, if we implement all those things, then most likely we're going to have a lot less of a need for the chemical control however when we when we need to use the chemical control we do it Um, you know if you're an organic grower obviously that's not on the table for you and there's other other things that we can do but if you're a conventional grower then absolutely we're going to be using um, chemicals there's no doubt Um, so We just have the opinion that um, that that's going to be our last resort. Um, You know, fungicide on corn and beans is extremely common for us, but that's because um, we have not been able to control some of these key diseases uh, with biologicals only. So um, just understand that. That's our opinion, um when it comes to the the chemical control methods. Whenever you are in the field and you're looking around, you're digging seedlings, you're walking um you know you're walking around v one v two plants, um the above ground portion of the plant does not necessarily tell the whole story. So please dig some roots and start looking. Um, you know, dig some roots in fields that are always the highest producing and dig some roots in, in the fields that are always the lowest producing and just start looking at the things that are different out there. You'll notice pretty quickly um, that there's big differences in the root systems um, or find find someone, find a trained pathologist or a disease lab to, to be able to send stuff to. Um, you know, that that's important. Um, I can't stress enough uh, being curious in the field and learning things and observing as much as you can, annotating, taking pictures, taking notes. That's all key. Um, there's a lot of information online. You know, there's a lot of different universities and extensions and articles that you can read. I probably wouldn't go to a. Um, I would probably stay away from product flyers for educational uh, information, but with Google Scholar and, you know, there's just so many research papers that are available to the public that, that you can read up on whatever you want. And the more educated you are on identifying pests and diseases, obviously the more um, the more effective you're going to be at managing those things. I'll give one quick example. Um, and I don't want to go into too much detail here because it's not a done deal yet, but um, we have a couple customers that have significant pythium issues on corn, and we don't, um, you know, a lot of people have light infections of pythium, and we try to address it, but this particular grower has a pretty severe instance, and so um, they have been, working for years um with the university on in their state on on evaluating pythium and tracking it looking at different methods of control higher rates of metal axle um you know some biological fungicides some epa registered biological fungicides for control methods and this year we we told him to use one of our products we said hey I want you to use this um, at at eight ounces per acre in furrow, and I want you to compare it to what you've been doing and and tell us what you think. Um, And so we got a phone call this summer, and uh, the university um, personnel had been out there um, walking around, uh, taking notes and taking pictures of the pythium infection. And they called us and they said, hey, um, would you guys be willing to send us some product for us to evaluate, and we were like, "Yeah, sure. Why? What's up?" And they said, "Well, um, out here um, we have Pythium damaged corn, and it's bad enough that that a lot of these plants are going to die. Um, and then we've got the biological fungicide out here that um, things look better, but we still are going to lose a lot of plants to Pythium. And then we've got your area where were we treated with your product, and these plants are." overcoming the Pythium and they're going to survive and we're going to have ears out here. And we have never seen this before. That's one example of, of quite a few that we have of, you know, just doing your homework. I mean, it's really, it's not rocket science. A lot of this stuff is, there's a lot of products out there and a lot of claims that get made. But when you start digging, you know, when you get a label and you look at the the microorganisms that are in there or the ingredients. Um, Just start Googling, you know, look up if, if you've got um, Bacillus subtilis strain, whatever on a label, go to Google Scholar and type in Bacillus subtilis strain, you know, D712, whatever it is um, for pythium in corn or pythium in maize or pythium in soybeans, um, you know, whatever it is you're looking for most likely there's a bunch of research out there already. And, and so really, when I started the company, that's that's one thing I started doing was looking at labels, looking at active ingredients, Google, Google Scholar, reading research papers on these active ingredients, getting an idea of what they can do and what they can't do. Um, and then once we figure out, okay, this works, we know it works. Now, how much does it take? What's the concentration need to be? How many CFUs need to be in here to actually be effective? Um, and one thing that we see a lot of is just a a good ingredient list at such a cut rate that it's that it's a joke. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that costs fifty cents to make that's getting sold for ten bucks an acre, and it's like you're never going to get a response to that concentration. Um, and some things it's not all about the concentration, right? But some things it is. So uh, you 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 got to understand that, and the only way to understand it is to start digging. Um, and start educating yourself on it, or, or you better have someone in your team that you really trust that knows this stuff. Just to recap, um, early detection is key, okay? I can't stress that enough. When, you're, when your seed comes up, Remember, as soon as that seed germinates, the fight is on. There's pathogens on the roots, around the roots, on the foliage, around the foliage. Rain splashes them up. Wind blows them in. Um, they come down in the rain. Sometimes they come in on wind events, right? Like they're, they're everywhere. So just remember that every single day your plant is defending itself from pathogens and having good, adequate, balanced nutrition is the number one way to help your plant fight its own diseases off. It's just like your immune system. If you eat like crap every day, you go through McDonald's three times a day. You don't exercise. You lay around on the couch you're nutritionally deficient and imbalanced, you're going to get sick more. Stress is going to, you know, a stress event is going to make you sick. Um, Diseases and, and all kinds of things are going to happen when you're nutritionally imbalanced. There's no different from a plant than a human being. When our plants are very nutritionally adequate and balanced, they can do a really good job of defending themselves from pests and diseases. So please understand, number one, that's happening every day. And number two, that balanced nutrition is your Best friend when it comes to fighting these things, Um, and then number two, early detection is key. So when you come out early, uh, you got you know small corn plants, small soybean plants, small wheat plants, small watermelons, small cotton plants, whatever it is, Um, start looking then. Um, When when the above ground plant looks healthy go check out the roots anyways, and just take pictures of it and save them and see, you know, figure out when when the combine rolls through and the yield isn't what you expected. Let's go back and start looking at that. Um, again, you know, crop rotation, variety selection, biological products, biological control products are important. Um, chemical control methods are important. We have to have them for now. Uh, maybe one day we won't, but for now we definitely do. Um, you know at least in the world that we live in um uh, other than you know there's some organic growers and stuff and and people that are doing without but our customer base largely is, is still um gonna require that um and then again i just you know i a lot of people don't have time to do it and that's okay but if you do have time when you find free time on your hands um i think the best investment you can make is in yourself and in your education so you know listen to educational podcasts read books go to the american phytopathological society website look at their books um there's so much stuff out there so um again um there's there's a plant um plant health and and pest and disease management is just as important as as any other topic and it's just one of the many variables that impacts our yield. So um, as as usual, um, we thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it was uh, useful and valuable to you. And if you guys have uh, any questions, um, need any help analyzing roots, identifying diseases or pests, things like that, please reach out to us via our website or find us on Facebook. You can go to our website at roibiological.com go to contact us and shoot us an email or you can find us on facebook and drop us a message there Um, someone will be in touch with you so uh, thanks again for listening and i hope you tune in for the next episode thank you